On today's edition of the Locked On Eagles podcast, the Philadelphia Eagles were in helmets today for the first time since the Super Bowl as OTAs kicked off at the Novacare Complex. We have an update about the depth chart, all that and more, some backup quarterback talk. Seems like the backups are a lot younger this year, all that and more on this Thursday edition of the Locked On Eagles podcast. You are Locked On Eagles, your daily Philadelphia Eagles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We thank you so much for making Locked On Eagles your first listen each and every day. Welcome in Eagles fans to a Thursday edition of the show. Shout out to the everydayers for making us your first listen Monday through Friday right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Louis DiBiase, joined as always by my co-host Gino Camilleri. And Gino, we got some real football to talk about today. The Eagles kicked off OTAs. We've got some depth chart talk. And of course, you take everything with a grain of salt, i.e. Kenneth Gainwell and Boston Scott, you know, getting more reps with the first team over you know Rashad Penny and DeAndre Swift that's going to happen a lot of the guys that have been here they're going to get those first reps but I think there were some takeaways to see who were starters and who are backups that'll progress throughout the summer training camp and the preseason but today we finally got a first real look at this 2023 squad in helmets at least and we got some of the guys talking as well today you hear yeah. from Nicholas Morrow you hear from Terrell Edmonds some of those newer guys you hear from Jordan Davis we really as haven't well. talked about much because they kind of got lost in the hype of the draft like Morrow and Edmonds mm-hmm. and it's only a few days but you'll start to get some of those sound bites it's glad to see these guys back out there because this is the first step and the first actual football action that you get to see and like you said take everything with a grain of salt but it is the roadmap to where the offense is going to look like what the defense is going to look like and you're going to start to put those pieces together and you're going to look back and say oh that's why he's starting in week 10 and we saw this a couple months ago and look at Reed Blankenship in OTAs he really wasn't much but he starts to work his way onto the training camp roster so so much is going to change over the next month and a half but right now it's a great way to kick off camp blue it's those dog days of summer right after you get out of school and you're sitting there and like man i want to see my friends then boom you're back at camp for a week and you get to go see a baseball game you get to go to get some good food and that's what it is with these guys man a lot of them are friends you get the georgia guys back together you get all the guys that won the super bowl they're i'm just glad to see everybody coming back to philly and being happy to be there right like it's despite a a heartbreaking loss exactly yeah you know that's the good thing is seems like even the guys from last year are so optimistic about the future. They're ready to run it back. Mm-hmm. The confidence you can just feel in this team is there. It's not like, for example, the Atlanta Falcons, when they lost that Super Bowl in 2016, and although they played the Eagles down to the wire and honestly probably should have won that division around game to get back to the conference championship the following year, you could see that team, they were mentally affected by blowing that 28-3 to lead, right? And it feels like, again, it's way early on. It's only June 1st right now, but it definitely feels like the Eagles emotionally, the guys that were there last year, it's not. it doesn't feel like it's weighing on them, or at least they're not showing it. And I don't think that's really a surprise when you look at the makeup of a lot of these guys. It's the feeling that they want to get right back into it and, and get ready to go right and I think yeah there's like an Davis, anxious like anticipation yeah yeah Jordan Davis had a great point about it he's like I'm in the Super Bowl in my first year right but we don't win it and that's a great talking point right because how many guys get to that point in their first year 
And then how many never get back there? How many a lot of them. never get back there at all? Right, Lou? I, I think the I mean, best. the obvious one is the traditional one everybody talks about is Dan Marino gets there in his first right. few years and he never gets back. The one quote that I always love is that when Brandon Graham was on this team and Brent Selleck was there and they finally get back to the playoffs. Brent's like, man, I haven't been here in so long. I was there my first year and I don't get back for how many years? He was there his first three years in a row. Exactly. Yeah. He didn't get back there for three straight years. You can't take this thing for granted. And that's, that's a great message to have, especially because after that 2017 year, Lou, it seemed like everybody was just content with winning that year and just that year, right? Like the future wasn't really important to them and 2018 didn't really seem important to them until it mattered down the stretch every day for this team seems important every time you see jason kelsey or fletcher cox show up to things like this in their 12th and 13 years into the national football league and they're there in june and the end of may man that's a great culture to continue building which will go so far beyond just this season it'll help set up those guys that we were talking about yesterday the jalen carters the nolan smiths to say if these guys are doing it X amount of years down the road and they were just at the top of the top, us just coming in, we got to work even harder, man, because we right. know what it takes from these guys' experience to get there. And they didn't even win the thing, Lou. Like, they got to be roaring and ready to go. I know I would be. For sure. Uh, a couple looks at the depth chart, at least from what we saw on day one of OTAs on the offensive side of the football at wide receiver three, Quez Watkins was taking more first team snaps than Olmid Zakaias. So, you know, we know Zakaias is coming in to push Quez. I think even more than Zach Pascal was last year. Zakaias had a career year with Atlanta last year. Quez had a down year after a good 2021. So Watkins definitely the his feet are to the fire, but you know, I don't think it's really a surprise that he's getting the nod at least right now to start at wide receiver three. And again, take all this with a grain of salt because the, I'm not saying Quez won't get that first shot because I think he will, but the guys that were here versus the free agents, they're going to get the first rep. So like that one, you can actually put some stock into, but like running back Kenneth Gainwell and Boston Scott got pretty much all the first team snaps today, but we all know the featured backs are going to be the other two. It's going to be Deandre Swift and, you know, Rashad Penny. And they don't get a lot of on-field work. This is more right. getting the install and in, getting to the playbook, asking all the right questions outside of just the field work. I mean, when you're in the classroom, that's really what this is about. And just starting to get your feet underneath you where when you're in that summer vacation mode that I was talking about, when you go back to school, you're like, did I ever actually learn anything before so that's what this event is it's getting all those guys tied together the rookies the free agents the guys that have been here before it's a new offensive coordinator new defensive coordinator you're changing a little bit of that terminology that's what these first couple days are going to be for so don't map this out as being the team that is going to be playing week one there's a long way to go and we're just here in day one of OTAs trying to tell you what this team is seeing and it's exciting things because you see Quez Watkins get that first nod. Maybe that's a big sign. Maybe, Hey, you're going to go out there and it's your job to lose. Get the well, key yeah, if you to, get the, the, to the car, right? If you get to start 
as the first team guy with OTAs, I think you probably have a head start. And again, that's not always true. I mm. you running back, but for instance, you look at right guard, Cam Jurgens was the first team right guard today over Tyler Steen, the third round pick out of Alabama. And I mm. do think Cam Jurgens, although Steen probably has a chance to win that job, I do think they want Cam Jurgens to be that guy and he'll probably have the leg up at least to start training camp. So, you know, there are some depth chart moves today that are noteworthy, like Jurgens at right guard. The one that was interesting interesting Gino or at least a player it didn't really have to do with the depth chart but somebody that I haven't thought about in a while that there was some buzz about a few summers ago and he's at a position where it's wide open outside of the starter it's tight end Tyree Jackson who has been hurt the last few years but remember two summers ago this kid looked really good in the summer. He's a 6'7", former quarterback out of the University of Buffalo that you know has a huge wingspan, and it looked like he was making the transition to tight end really well. He made some eye-popping plays in the preseason, and today he was out there on the field, and it kind of got me thinking because obviously they bring in Dan Arnold, and Arnold's the most experienced pass catcher they have by far at this position beyond Dallas Goddard, but you know we've mentioned Jack Stahl a lot in the past and Grant Calcaterra, but... Tyree Jackson's an interesting wild card here, and if he can stay healthy, man, he's got more upside than I think those other two young tight ends. So I'm rooting for Tyree because I think he presents the best option when it comes to a ceiling at pass catcher at tight end that isn't named Dallas Goddard. So I'm actually really intrigued to watch Tyree and you know see what happens this summer. He's not guaranteed to make the roster at all, but this team really did like him a few years ago. The depth at pass catcher is going to be kind of just sampling ice cream flavors right when you yeah. go up to the window and they give you that little spoon it's like oh what do you like do you like tyree jackson who can really catch the ball and can he stay on the field and can he be healthy or do you like jack Stoll, who's basically a sixth offensive lineman or yeah. when you look at the wide receiver position when it comes to pass catcher do you want to keep Britton covey just because he can also be your I do, returner yeah. or do you want to keep a bigger body guy that you have in the back end of that roster. That's why a tight end, I think maybe it's Jack Stahl and Goddard guaranteed because of Stahl's blocking. And maybe that final spot, it's a battle between Dan Arnold, Grant Calcaterra, and Tyree Jackson is that second premier pass catching tight end. Premier is quite the title. Well, I didn't mean to say premier. I should have just said, you know, second pass catching tight end. Yeah, definitely not premier. In that rotation too, which he was a former third round pick, if I'm not mistaken, a couple years back. And he was signed... I think towards the end of last year. But when you look at that, those last couple pass catcher positions, I think that's where they sat on their hands a little bit last year. Because when you brought up the idea of OZ playing in this offense, he's going to be pressed to press Quez Watkins a little bit more than Zach Pascal did, right? They never brought in a true competitor to that Quez Watkins position. They never brought in a true competitor behind Dallas Goddard maybe just having more bodies there will breed more competition which will breed somebody to step up to the plate because they have to find another guy right they can't just have Dallas Goddard and nobody else no and again they do have more pass catching running backs this year to make up for it and I think Zacchaeus is an upgrade Mm -hmm. over Pascal so is it dire that they have that second pass catching tight end no but it would be nice in 12 personnel to know that that second tight end or at least the defense doesn't know if they have a chance to catch the football. You know what I mean? Where when Jack Stahl's out there, it's kind of predictable. On the defensive side of the football, nothing really of note when it comes to the depth chart outside of Reed Blankenship starting right now over Sidney Brown, but that's a third-round rookie, Gino. I don't think that's really a surprise, and all three of those safeties will have a role for sure. So day one, though, great to see the guys on the field of the Novacare Complex. Got some thoughts coming up next 
on Marcus Mariota in the Eagles' backup quarterback position. He was out there today for the first time. It was eight years in the making, but also general manager Howie Roseman had some comments about Mariota and the backup quarterback position on a podcast this week. So want to get into that coming up next right here on the Locked On Eagles podcast. And guys, today's show is sponsored by FanDuel. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs. Tonight is game one of the finals in Denver. Nikolai Jokic in the Denver Nuggets against Jimmy Butler. Maybe Hemi Butler. If it, We'll see what happens tonight in the Miami Heat. The one seed versus the eight bet on it at FanDuel because right now new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to two. Yeah, that's right. $2,500. It went up and it threw me off for a second. Back in bonus bets, if your first bet does not win, FanDuel is amazing. Great promotions every day. Safe and secure app. You get paid instantly. I'm riding with the Nuggets tonight. There's no better place to bet on all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, Eagles fans, we are continuing on this Thursday edition of Lockdown Eagles. Shout out to the everydayers for making us a part of your day. The first listen, Monday through Friday. So, Gino, today was the first day of OTAs for the Birds. They had their helmets on at NovaCare Complex, and still a surreal feeling for me to see uh, Marcus Mariota in an Eagles helmet, especially wearing number eight. Definitely was weird, but at the same time, it's a huge luxury to have that kind of player as your backup. And Howie Roseman was on Chris Long's podcast the other day, and he mentioned Mariota and the importance of, obviously, Eagles fans know, and how he said it himself, QB2 has been good to the Eagles more than it's been to any team in NFL history, and that's obvious. But having Mariota, I think, is only going to enhance that because one thing the Eagles haven't really had in a backup outside of the one year of Jalen Hurts, dating back to, I don't know, 2009 with Michael Vick, is mobility, right? I mean, you didn't have mm-hmm. that with Nick Foles. You didn't have that with Josh McCown. You didn't have that with Nate Sudfeld or... Uh, Gardner Minshew, even back in the day with Kevin Cobb. And I think having Mariota be that mobile is huge for this team because no QB2 is going to be an elite passer or they'd be a QB1. So to have a guy that can make plays with his legs outside of structure at that spot, I think is really important. And it's the one thing I did agree with when it comes to Howie's evaluation of Jalen Hurts in 2020. What he wanted in a backup was that kind of player. And I think that's Mariota. And we had brought this point up when we were talking about potential quarterbacks towards yeah. the end of the draft and guys you could bring in as undrafted right. free agents. Right, the UCLA kid, right? Yeah, when yeah, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, that's yeah. a great way to look at it, to where when they talk about the idea of a quarterback being pro-ready, it's like mm. the better athlete is more pro-ready because at the pro level, he is more apt to make plays against people right. that Even are when physically you're not a as product. Dominant. Exactly. As opposed to a guy who can just stand in the pocket and throw the football. Like, look at Nathan Peterman. Was he technically pro ready when he was like Tanner McKee, too? That's exactly that's that's the fear, right? You don't want to get to that. And Carson Strong last year, your boy, even with the the Jeff Garcia. Oh, my God. $300,000 on the drain for for nothing, not even any post or preseason throws, which is crazy. But you look at Marcus Mariota and you look at what they've had in the past. And when you go into those games, what if you had a mobile quarterback against Seattle when Carson Wentz goes down and not a guy who had torn his hamstring in the middle of that football game? Like what if you had Mariota, you're winning that football game and you're in the second round. I would say so. I would say so. And the first quarterback that Howie brought up in that conversation was Jeff Garcia all those years ago when he won the division for them. Yeah, I was there. 
I was there when McNabb went down and Garcia comes into that game. At least with Jeff, he had a little boogie in his shoes, man, and he could get around a little bit. You have to have just enough, right? You have to have just enough to get by in today's NFL. And Marcus has more than that. And I know I went a a full circle way about talking about that, but he presents you with the best chance to win, even over a guy like Gardner Minshew, right? Because the talk was Gardner, he he can just plug and play in the offense and just dink and dunk his way down the field. But when you needed him to make plays, he didn't have enough. He didn't have enough athleticism to even get it done. At least with Marcus, you're not going to have to shuffle the deck as much. It's going to be a simpler playbook if he has to go into the game. It won't be as thorough, but what you can continue to use is his ability to make men miss in the open field. And he's been doing that since his days at Oregon. Is he the athlete he once was? No, but is he a better athlete than probably 85% of the guys at that quarterback two position in the national football league? Yeah, I would say so. And you know, the numbers say he's as good as a runner as he's ever been. I mean, he Mm -hmm. had a career high in rushing yards last year, 85 attempts for 438 yards and four touchdowns before that his high was year. uh, It was year four, 2018, 357 yards and two touchdowns. And we know he wasn't a great passer for Atlanta last year, but the Falcons early on in the year when he was starting over Desmond Ritter, they were in a lot of football games late. Why? Part of it, I mean, it was the rest of the roster, of course, but Mariota's legs, they were able to make some really big-time plays when they couldn't do it through the air with his limited arm and their limited you know, weapons. Zacchaeus was one of their go-to players in that passing game. So having that kind of player, like you said, it not only helps because you don't have to change up the offense as much because your starter is so incredibly mobile, but also even just outside of structure when it's not a designed run play, Mariota can make things happen with his legs, and that's really important because, again, if you were gonna find, if you were gonna have an elite processor and this elite quarterback with accuracy and arm strength at QB two, he wouldn't be a backup. So, mm. what's the strategy for me? It's you know having somebody that can run, and that's again why in twenty twenty I would have never took a backup in in the second round. But what kind of backup did how he want in Jalen Hurts? I totally get the logic there, and I like it, and I think that's he's going for that again with Mariota. And again, before that, it was the Eagles did not have that since Michael Vick in 2009 and 2010 before he took over. And to bring up the guy that you were just talking about that Marcus was starting over, why is Desmond Ritter arguably the best of the bunch from that group last year, Lou? He was maybe the best processor of the bunch, but he was at the same time maybe the best athlete of the group, probably a better athlete than Malik Willis when you look at overall just well-rounded and they're going to give him a chance because maybe they see a little bit of Jalen Hurts in that type of player, right? And outside of a year in Nick Foles where you got freakish level play down the stretch, right, Lou? Well, 2017 2018. Yeah. yeah. How (laughs) often does that type of quarterback come into a game unless he's in an environment that's a Shanahan type system where it's it's rare. Anybody can go in there and he can make it easy for you or Sean McVay. But a lot of the time you have to have a guy that can maybe make one of two throws and the third play is with his legs. Yeah. The majority of the time you're not going to get the most unique story in sports as your backup quarterback Mm -hmm. that for some reason when he wears your Jersey is a hall of famer. Yeah, shocking, right? And right. go back to those Vic years and the idea of Kevin Cobb. Like Kevin Cobb wasn't a good thrower and nor was he a good athlete. That's why it always made more sense, even if Vic was yeah. half of the Very Gardner Minshew like. It's not Definitely. a super strong arm and he really wasn't that mobile either. Chase Daniel esque and Sam Bradford esque, right? Yeah. And 
you can always look to upgrade at those positions. And right now, this might be the best one, too, that they've had in terms of keeping the skill set the same along lines from going yeah. from quarterback one to two. Because even going back to Carson Wentz's first year, remember when it was Sam Bradford and Chase Daniel and Carson Wentz all in that room? It's like none of these guys do anything similar to one right. another. And if one goes down, you're going to have to change the entire playbook. And they got lucky that Chip Kelly happened to write a Hall of Fame level playbook for Nick Foles a couple year, years earlier to where sure. Doug Peterson could take that from him. But a lot of the time you're going to get maybe a game like Gardner Minshew had against the Cowboys, and then the next outing, he goes and lays an egg. So you have to have a guy that can at least be athletic enough to go and compete, and he's a right. veteran, Lou, and he knows his role now. If you have to use him for two to three games this year, I think you got one of the better options. Oh, man. yeah. I'm very confident. I think if they don't have the best backup quarterback in the league, it's a top-tier one for sure, and that mobility is a huge part of it. I want to stay on backups, Gino, because looking at OTAs today in the depth chart, there's a lot of youth this year when it comes to backups, and I think it's more than in the past. So I want to get into that and why that is coming up next right here on the Locked On Eagles podcast. All right, Eagles fans, we're wrapping up this Thursday edition of the Lockdown Eagles podcast, your daily Philadelphia Eagles podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every single day. The OTA is kicking off today at Novacare Complex. Gino, we're talking backups. Talked Marcus Mariota in segment two. I'm, I'm thinking about this from a roster perspective, and I don't know if you agree with this, but does it feel like the roster, not the starting lineup, although it is younger than last year, and especially over you know the past like 2017, 2018, those were some of the oldest rosters in the league, but when you look at backups this year especially, it feels very young. When you go around to every position outside of quarterback, I would outside say. Outside of Mariota, I mean, man, there's not a lot of veterans that are the next men up. I mean, Brandon Graham's your number three on the edge, but after him, but it's just a bunch Smith. of youth as well. And Patrick Johnson, Kyron Johnson, young Look there. at defensive and, tackle. I mean, you have Jalen mm -hmm. Carter. You've got Milton Williams. You've got Contavious Street is younger. Uh, Moro Jomo is a rookie. When you play high school level sports, right, there's that jump, especially when you're going from like JV level to the varsity level, where you have to catch up with the speed of it. Before yeah. anything, it's like, wow, this game is just a lot faster. And that's why I don't mind having youth behind high-level veterans. I agree. Because if you're planning correctly, and just like we talked about with quarterback, to where these guys hopefully only play two to three games, that will at least be, one, enough to get their feet under them to move forward to know that they either have it or don't have it. Like, you could tell pretty quickly. If, if a yeah. guy is going to be able to run, if he's going to be able to keep up with that level of athleticism, and if not, you either move on or you find a way to coach him up, which at these positions, which what they have, they're going to have to because it's not out of, oh, we have all these young guys because we have a poor roster. We have young guys because we have a lot of talented players that we're paying a lot of money to, and we can't afford that's to have those point, veteran you know, backups. Yes, that's the other point is these young players are cheaper, not just the draft picks, but you look at a, a player that I like Howie's strategy. It's the you know buy low. It's the low risk, high reward kind of signing. It's like, yeah, Greedy mm -hmm. Williams isn't going to cost us that much. But guess what? A lot of the time for the first year of his evaluation, people thought he was a day one or day two prospect. And so we're not spending a lot of money on him and he's not a guaranteed, you know, reliable player if somebody goes down, but he does have that kind of upside. So it's a nice middle ground to take when you got to go cheaper. And it's, 
you're seeing that at, we mentioned the defensive line. Like, look at corner. It's super young. It's Greedy Williams, Zach McPherson. It's Kelly Ringo. When you look at on the offensive line, it's, you know, Tyler Steen, Cam Jurgens, Sua Opeta, you know, Jack Driscoll's still on the younger side. I mean, the running backs, the receivers, it's a tight end. I mean, they're all young as well. It's, it's a very young roster when it comes to the second and third team. And I like the logic that, you know, you're talking about too. I don't, I don't mind it at all. No, and when you go back to those teams of 2017, 2018, 2019, why wasn't the window able to stay open? Well, the youth either, one, didn't work out, the Sidney Joneses of the world, the Rasul Douglases of the world, right? Like, they didn't work out for whatever reasons that they were. The guys that they brought in were street-level free agents. They but weren't making those big-time moves. In 2019, though, Gino, in 2019, they needed young backups, and it actually did pay off, and it helped them win the division. So the one year they actually had those guys, even if they were street-level, they got a lot of contributions. So young backups doesn't always mean they're not reliable and, you know, they can't handle that pressure. Oh, no, 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 not at all. And I, I'm saying the even the opposite like that. When you have the veteran guys, that doesn't mean you're going to get surefire play right, either. Right. Because we talk about that cornerback group that they had and they had a fair amount of veterans and none of them are on the roster anymore because they didn't prepare properly to get those guys ready. They're probably for not as motivated next man up. Like, you know, how motivated was Joshua Perkins in 2019 or Deontay Burnett to show, right. i got to make plays because this is the only chance, or Greg Ward, this is the only chance I'm ever going to get. So that's another part of it, too. And now these guys have not just good-level players, but top-level players. And yeah. it's a great precedent to set to have these young backups to know that if you go in and, let's say, at the cornerback position, because that's what we were talking about, and yeah. you need Zach McPherson to bop in there, well, if Zach can't keep up with the pace of play, it's going to be Keely Ringo up next. And then Keely, can you play at that level? And you're going to have these young guys that you're going to be able to see, okay, are they ready? If not, we got to continue to prepare them. But at the same time, they know what it's going to take to get to that level to compete because of what they have above them. And it's a perfect mesh of having the veterans there that hopefully in a couple of years will move on. And at that point, these guys will be ready to go and not the other way around where you're just signing Band-Aid guides because the young guys didn't take that next right. step which you were hoping for. For sure. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how they develop throughout the summer. We've got OTAs right now, training camp in about a month and a half. Make sure you subscribe to Locked on Eagles to get your daily Philadelphia Eagles podcast Monday through Friday. Thanks so much for making us your first listen each and every day. Shout out to the everydayers Monday through Friday on all podcast platforms and on YouTube as well. Make sure you hit us up on Twitter at LockdownBirds, at LOE and at GC24 underscore football. That's going to do it for this Thursday edition of LOE for Gino Camilleri. I'm Lou DiBiase signing off as always thank you for downloading thank you for watching and listening and let's go birds fly eagles fly